Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include offshoring, my interview with Nationwide Processing's Guru Amrit Khalsa on reducing costs, and why mortgage rates in U.S. Treasury yields surged to a nearly 20-year high last week. Thanks to this week's podcast sponsor, Bill. Built is powering smarter and faster money movement for the entire construction and real estate ecosystem, all while reducing risk. To learn more, visit getbuilt.com. America's national debt this week topped $33 trillion for the first time, according to the figures from the Treasury Department. The record-breaking red ink comes as Congress braces for another fight over federal spending. Unless D.C. can agree on a dozen appropriation bills by September 30th or ink a short-term continuing resolution to fund the government, the U.S. would face its first federal shutdown since 2019. We all know that rates have gone up over the past year and a half, and that has also made the cost of servicing the national debt way more expensive, posing significant risk to the fiscal and economic outlook. Mortgage rates and U.S. Treasury yields surged to nearly 20-year highs last week, given the hawkishness from the Federal Reserve. The yield on the 10-year Treasury note climbed 12 basis points in the week to 4.44%, slipping a bit on Friday after surging Thursday to its highest level since October 2007, as the Fed projected interest rates would remain higher for longer. Adding to the rise in yields are a combination of rising oil prices, economic resilience in the U.S., and hefty government bond supply. The ultimate direction of rates will be determined by economic performance and inflation, both of which remain stronger than anticipated. I received an email over the weekend stating, quote, I'm a processor at a lender who was doing about $80 million a month in 2020 and 2021, but is now doing $15 million. We save money during those years and retain servicing. But now we've eaten through our savings, sold all of our servicing, and are barely breaking even. We've moved to entirely best efforts execution, outsourced as much as we can, are continuing to lay people off, and are shedding unused expensive technology. Where will we go from here? End quote. That's a rough note, but if it's any help, you're not alone out there. It's going to be a difficult autumn and winter, and lender management not doing anything is similar to an ocean swimmer being caught in the waves while everyone is telling them to swim out past the breakers or into the beach. Speaking of which, for today's interview, I want to welcome to the show Nationwide Processing's Guru Amrit Khalsa to talk about offshoring operations and reducing fixed costs for lenders. He was the COO and VP of Technology at HealthScribe, Inc., which is the first and one of the largest offshore medical transcription companies. He was then COO and CTO of First Ring, Inc., which was an original pioneer of the offshore call center industry in India. It was the first company to attract world-class financial clients such as American Express and Discover Card. Now, he's owner of Nationwide Processing, which provides a complete suite of mortgage processing services to 45 mortgage broker offices in the United States. I want to start by talking about your personal experience and ask how you first got involved in offshoring. It was back in the 80s when um, I had a friend who was in the HIS, Hospital Information Systems space, and we were talking about things you could do, areas that weren't yet automated. And he was talking about one that was called medical transcription, which was back then was done on cassette tapes by people right in the hospital. And we thought, well, you know, you could, you could digitize this and you could send it, 
somewhere else to get it done and send it back and you wouldn't have you know tapes and you wouldn't have to be local and so we you know we it was one of those things where you don't really know what you're getting into you get into it and you know three years later we actually had it figured out um and so we looked around for places to do it we weren't actually thinking you know offshore we were thinking uh you know appalachia or northern maine we talked to the penobscot indians we, we went all over the place and then the soviet union fell apart and so they stopped supporting india so india kind of opened up to the west kind of all at once and we thought now here's an opportunity so uh, we went over there and we trained a bunch of medical transcriptionists and started doing the that whole function digitally um and ran that for, God, it must have been eight, nine years. Um, got some VC backing. Then with our experience over there, but the same partner and I started another company, which was doing um, call center operations, mostly for American Express. And we did that for seven or eight years. Um, and that was also VC backed. And then at the end of that whole thing, I thought, man, doing, doing these VC backed operations is really uh stressful because you know they have their own agenda so i thought well what could i do you know with my um connections in india but you know without requiring a huge amount of money um and i originally came up with uh truck brokering just as a thought and then actually joined the truck brokering association because i live near washington dc and and realized pretty soon no that was that's a, you know, it's a good old boy network and, you know, it'll be really difficult to create the relationships, you know, needed for that. So then I had another friend who was a mortgage broker and he, um, and I thought, well, you know, broker, same deal, but let's see what that's all about. So I asked him if I could come and just sit in his office for, um, you know, for however long it took. And I wound up, I was sitting there for about a month and I realized, no, the, the sales aspect really is, you know, a very relationship oriented process, but this other thing processing now that you could do offshore. So, you know, I, I really kind of studied the whole process and my wife became a processor and we went over to India and trained up a bunch of processors. And then uh, that started nationwide processing, which still exists today. You know, we've gone through all the market cycles of everybody else, but um, that was kind of the, the origin of, of nationwide processing. You've obviously been doing this a long time. And I want to ask you, what are some key considerations for companies considering offshoring some operations? I mean, if you're a large company, you could send, a, you know, one person or a small team to, you know, to India or, um, or, you know, now they're, it's happening in, in South America, Indonesia, there's a lot of places where it's happening, but that's a difficult way to do it. If I was if I was a broker or a banker right now, I mean, you really kind of have to go to established companies and kind of hook into what they're doing. The key to it is, I mean, it it it's not an easy industry. You know, just like building a back office operation in the U.S. is not easy. It's not easy anywhere. And you have you know people who are great at it and people who aren't so great, and you've got turnover and you've got the same issues everywhere. Um. I was lucky in the early days because there there wasn't a lot of demand for you know really talented people in India. Now every Fortune 500 company is in India, um, and so the 
getting labor is a little more difficult. Um, but you know, there you can do it. I would go out. You know, I would maybe take a trip over there and and see their operation. You know, make sure it looks you know substantial, and then see what their kind of training and quality control looks like because um, that's key. And then you know, then it's all about communication. You know, communicate. You know, we we had a um, a motto in nationwide processing, which was three words: communicate, communicate, communicate. <laughs> and so long as that that's happening, you know, you can pretty much work through anything. Um, but I would also make sure that you know you don't have an expectation that it's going to look and feel exactly like your in-house operation, because it won't. And the way the way you should look at it is really you know augmentation, not replacement. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One is, one is the time zone. There's some overlap on the, you know, mornings and evenings in the U.S., but mostly what the offshoring is good for is things that don't have to be done in real time. Um, things like, you know, loan setup, post-close, um, you know, appraisal management, that kind of stuff. And that can be, you know, kind of a discrete function uh, that has a trigger and a very specific process flow and a completion, um, and that doesn't require, you know, uh, that it get done today with a bunch of phone calls. That that doesn't work when you're when you're dealing with offshoring. Um, and then when you're getting into that, the way the way you do it is you just you start off with one or two small processes, like let's say you know post close audit. Uh, and then you get together and you you work out a a written um, process flow because everybody does a little different. Uh, and then you define okay, what's the trigger? You can have your LOS send an email saying this is ready for audit, um, or somebody's going to make a phone call, or how you know what is the trigger to to start the process. Um, and then you need a QC function at the end just to make sure it's going along well. And then you need to you know some reporting associated with the with the QC. Um, but as long as you do that and do it, you know, carefully and then and then, you know, you don't want to jump into 10 processes at the same time. Start with one, then go with two, then maybe four, then six, 10, you know, work it work on it that way. Are there certain strategies or policies and procedures that make for more or less successful offshore operations? Ways to spell out the operation so that uh, you're you maintain control of it from the from the states. Well, of course, you need you need to be using the same systems. Um, you know, like if you're, if, you know, if you got an LOS, you got to have your users be in the LOS. So that certainly, you know, you can see what they're doing, you know, as they're doing it. Um, you want to have a good logging system in your LOS so you can track who did what, and if something goes haywire, you can find out, you know, where it went haywire. Um, there are some considerations in terms of, of uh, data security and the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act, where um, you know a broker's responsible for the data security of his vendors, and so you know they have to they have to be fairly IT savvy. Um, we do a thing where we don't we don't technically send data to India. We have servers. You know, set up under Azure, under Microsoft Azure in the U.S., and they're they remote into that, and that's where they do it. So the data actually never goes to India. But there's a lot of ways to do that. You know, the 
lot of technical ways you can make that work. Um, and you have to certify that, you know, you are compliant. So, um, yeah, so, you know, main considerations are, you know, are you communicating well? Is everything documented? And is your data secure? I think if you have those three things uh, covered, then then you're good. Are there ways to evaluate the return on investment or cost savings, or I guess after you start the operation, how, how would you assess if it's a success or not? Probably the best way is, you know, if you're, if you know what your cost per loan is and you know the components of it, what's the cost per loan for, you know, post-close or, or setup and that kind of thing, then it's really easy because if you have a good outsourcer, they, they won't charge you for the FTE. They will charge you for the process. Um, and it, the reason for that is it works out better uh, really for all parties. For the mortgage institution, they, they get a fixed cost and, and a predictable cost. For the outsourcer, if they can pay their people on the same unit, you know, as a as a you know a completed process, then you know it's all kind of aligned and everybody's incented to do it quickly and fast. Not not you know badly or not with poor quality, but you wanna you wanna incent people to to move quickly and reduce costs. So then really you just talk to them about and, and the way we do it is is unfortunately you don't really know how long it's gonna take and what the what my cost is in advance because everybody does it a little differently. So what we do is we do like like three months of of charging by the hour and then we turn it into a, a fixed pro- rate per process. And you know the in today's environment where really cost control is key, um, it it's a it's a great tool because it's it's a hundred percent variable cost. You're not going to pay pay for somebody, you know, sitting idle waiting for the phone to ring. Uh, you just pay for work being done. And usually you, you can get it at a much better rate. Depending on where you go, uh, you know, what country you're in, it's probably anywhere between, you know, 20 to 50% cheaper. Um, but again, you know, co- cost isn't everything. You need to make sure there's, there's you know, quality and, and, uh, and ease of, of functioning together. But that's really it. To what degree do you believe technology will be able to replace human functions in the loan origination process? Obviously, offshoring is not replacing human functions, but it is replacing some functions that are done by by humans in America. Right. So, you know, there, there's there's different roles in the you know mortgage manufacturer process. So. The the sales relationship kind of roles that I don't think that's going to change. Um, there are certain things on the other end of the spectrum which are, you know, back office functions that are really very repetitive and rote and um, simple. Those are the first candidates that can get get automated. And I'll give you an example, like bank statement loans. Um, you know, there's software that'll read a bank statement and basically do the calculations for you. It's not 100% perfect because you still need people to to validate it at the end, you know, the last 5%. <laughs> it's not 100% automated. But those kinds of things that are, that are rote, um, those, will get, those will get automated first. 
But there's a bunch of things in between that that are are kind of perfect for offshoring. I'll give you, you know, post-close audit is a good example because it's because every loan's a little different. You have to know something about lending and the the industry to know whether you know something's appropriate or not in the in the post-close. Um, and so for for those kinds of things, it it will be a long time before it gets, you know, it's like, it's like self-driving, you know, we were going to have self-driving, you know, eight years ago, but it's that last, you know, two, 3% that's really a hard nut to crack and that won't allow it to go hundred percent automated. Um, and it's, you know, it's the same way for that, that mid range of processes where, yeah, it, you know, a lot of it is rote, but a lot of it or some of it, even if it's a little bit, needs you know a human to kind of look at the big picture and 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 you know apply the mortgage knowledge in order to get it right. So so yeah, you know, it, um, automation will will take over some of the the low end functions. Um, outsourcing can can help some of the mid range functions and sales. I think is always going to be done local. There's no no uh, substitute for that. Are there cultural differences that companies need to be aware of? Or, I mean, a language barrier is obviously the one that comes to mind, but I'm, I'm sure there's others that you've experienced over your time offshoring. We looked at that a lot in the beginning to see whether that was going to be a problem or not. But it's not so much the, the language or the accent. It's, it's whether they sound competent, uh, you know, whether they're sure of themselves and they sound competent. You know, and it's exactly the same. You know, anybody in the in the U.S. or offshore, it doesn't really matter. You you forget about the accent real fast if they if you know if they're clear in their responses, they know what you're asking, they know how to respond, they they know the subject matter. Um, accent really become really becomes kind of irrelevant. Where just psychologically, what happens if if they're not confident and they don't. Um, uh, you know, they're not crisp with their answers or, or answering exactly what you're asking, then you kind of tend to think, well, you know, they don't really understand because they're in a foreign country. It's not really that. Um, it's it's really more of a matter of, you know, are they trained? Do, do they have a lot of experience? You know, that's that's the key. It's not really accent. Um, that's, that's one aspect to outsourcing. And the other one I, I will just, um, you know, uh, reiterate, which is the time zone issue. And, um, you know, so in India, it's 12 hours different. So you're, you're not going to get daytime, full-time eight hour shifts, in, you know, in us time to, you know, coincide, what you may get is overlap on either, either side of your day. Um, there are companies, we actually have an office in Bangalore that does, does nighttime shift, but, it's it's difficult to staff in India, and you wind up, uh, you know, paying people about twice as as what you have to pay them for a, a day shift. So, um, you know, so you lose some of the advantages that way. But there are some things that, um, and there are some companies that will have a a nighttime shift, but it's a little harder to get good labor that's willing to work all night. There there are some real advantages. Um, you know, it's scalable. It's it's flexible. It's um, variable. Uh, and there's some disadvantages, which, you know, I just, I just described. Well, it sounds like as long as it's not an instantaneous function, 
in the process that's offshore, you should be okay. Things that can be waited on overnight here right. uh, should work well. We we spoke a lot about India, but you you also have referenced Latin America Do, and on, and your experiences in India. But can you speak to any of the the pros and cons or, or reasons you would choose one place over another? Well, uh, the 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 advantage of Latin America is it's similar time zone. Uh, it may be one or two hours different, but it's not twelve hours different. The the downside is you know the the cost savings aren't as great, um, and then there's always the Philippines, which which has a kind of a, a a broader population that has a more neutral accent, um, but they are also a little more than India. There, there's a lot of outsourcing going there. The, you know, the two main outsourcing places are India and the Philippines. We have machine learning, we have AI, we have all these things going on. How do you think the offshoring process will continue to evolve from here now that we're in this super technological age? Well, I think, you know, the tool, the toolkit for a, a mortgage company is, you know, we've just added all this technology as additional tools. Um, and it's appropriate, you know, in the right pra- in the right place. Um, there are certain things, though, that will never, or you know, maybe 10, 15 years, but not in the near future, they're going to be replaced by technology. I mean, it's actually kind of cool because a, a mortgage company can do all sorts of augmentation for the back end. One of which is technology, AI. You know, that people, everybody's experimenting with that, trying to see how that can help. Um, and, and offshoring is a, is another, um, way to augment your processing company. Um, so, you know, in, in the, in the best of all worlds, you'd have a really high end manager, uh, with a lot of experience as, you know, as the guy in charge of the back end. who, you know, if they were local, that would be great. Um, but then he can avail himself of, you know, technology, offshoring, and then slowly and and it's actually, and I, you know, we've thought about this in our company. A lot of mortgage companies aren't, you know, super technically savvy. And as a as an offshore company, we can bring to them technology advantages that they wouldn't probably be exposed to otherwise. So the it's actually an opportunity for the outsource industry to be the source of introducing the innovation to the to the mortgage broker. Um, it requires, you know, a little more entrepreneurial uh, spirit by the offshore company because, you know, most of them are labor-based. But if you've also got a, you know, a technically savvy management group that can, you know, introduce technologies, then it's kind of a win-win for everybody. Um, and the really good off- offshore and outsource, even domestic offshore uh, outsource companies you know, are, if they're smart, that's what they're doing. I think there was a ton of valuable information in this interview for, for companies that are considering doing this. And obviously now is as important a time as ever to consider things like this as converting fixed costs into variable costs and examining that PNL really closely can, can mean the difference between staying in business and, and having to consolidate. So Guru Ramani, I really appreciate you making the time for me today. Thank you very much. Robert, thank, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. It's fun. In a widely expected move, the Federal Open Market Committee unanimously kept the Fed funds target unchanged at 5.25 to 5.50% last week. 
The supporting economic projections released in conjunction with the monetary policy statement indicated all signs point to one more rate hike this year, leading to the terminal rate, potentially, along with fewer rate cuts in 2024. Projections for the Fed Fund's target in 2024 were half a percentage point higher than in the previous release and remain higher than previously anticipated through 2026. Fed Chairman Powell noted many times in the press conference following the FOMC statement that the committee wants to see a rebalancing of the labor market and softer growth as signals that inflation is sustainably moving toward the Fed's 2% target. The Fed chair also said that a soft landing was not a baseline expectation and also highlighted that economic activity had been stronger than all expectations. Inflation trends, which are driving the Federal Reserve's thinking, will again be the key focus this week, with the U.S. PCE inflation reading and flash CPI reports from Europe due to be released. PCE inflation, also known informally as the Fed's preferred inflation gauge, is forecast to be up 0.2% month over month to push the year-over-year rate down to 3.8%. Other economic releases that will be of interest to more, the mortgage market include home prices from FHFA and S&PK Schiller, new home sales, consumer confidence, durable goods orders, GDP, and personal income and spending. With no economic releases in note today, we begin the week with agency MBS prices worse than eighth to a quarter, and the 10-year yielding 4.49 after closing last week at 4.44%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. A German, a Japanese, and a hillbilly were sitting naked in a sauna. Suddenly there was a beeping sound. The German pressed her forearm and the beeping stopped. The others looked at her expectantly. That was my pager, she said. I have a microchip implanted under the skin of my arm. A few minutes later, the phone rang. The Japanese woman lifted her palm to her ear. When she finished, she explained, I'm not going to do a Japanese accent. That was my mobile phone. I have a microchip in my hand. The hillbilly woman felt decidedly low-tech. Not to be outdone, she decided she had to do something just as impressive. She stepped out of the sauna and went to the bathroom. She returned with a piece of paper hanging from her behind. The others raised their eyebrows and stared at her. So the hillbilly woman finally said, and yes, I will do a hillbilly accent, Well, would you look at that? I'm getting a fax! <laughs> Thanks again to this week's podcast sponsor, Built Technology. Built is powering smarter and faster money movement for the entire construction and real estate ecosystem, all while reducing risk. To learn more, visit getbuilt.com. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.